listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 64. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, that's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. More than anything, this show is home to honest conversations between real people. We're not trying to sell you anything, we're not trying to get you to fix yourself or your life or anything like that. There are no life hacks to be found here. Instead, it's a space to just be real, to take a deep breath and talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that I think isn't talked about enough, like our fears, challenges, and insecurities, our secret dreams, how it really feels to try and make changes in your life, what happens when you don't accomplish a goal, and just the day-to-day truths of being human in a crazy world. As your host, it's so much fun for me to sit down with everyone from athletes, writers, and entrepreneurs to parents, coaches, activists, change makers, world travelers, adventurers, artists, the list goes on and on, and to bring those conversations to you. And fair warning real quick that this is an adult podcast, which means we often cover adult topics and use adult language. My hope for you as a listener of this show is that it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want, to know that I'm not alone. Something else that's unique about this show is that it's now 100% community supported, which means no ads, no sponsors, and no outside influence. Just us, here together, sharing stories. The show is made possible by listeners like you, who have pledged $8 or more per 8-episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon, and not only does your support go toward the funding goal we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016, so beyond this season, season eight, but your support also earns you access to exclusive bonus content. The bonus content includes conversations and interviews with wonderful guests that aren't aired publicly. Plus, you get access to the Squad Pod, a shorter version of Real Talk Radio where the guests are you, the members of the community. And coming in mid-December, there's something extra special happening for those of you who are in the Patreon community. A handful of your favorite past guests will come back to share a real talk end-of-year recap, including details about their 2016 successes, failures, and lessons learned, as well as their dreams and goals for 2017. And all of that will only be available to our Patreon support squad. So to get access to that, plus over 20 hours of other bonus content, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our community members who joins me for a quick and hilarious game of Would You Rather and shares how great it is to be part of our Patreon community. So if you believe in this real talk revolution, like I do, and if you're in the position to be able to support the show, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Right now, the show is scheduled and funded through the end of 2016, so this season is potentially our last season, but if we meet our funding goal by the end of the year, then we'll be able to continue into 2017 too, and you can make that happen. So thanks so much for your support, and now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Jesse Thomas. Jesse is a pro triathlete and the CEO and founder of Picky Bars, a real food energy bar company that, as you might know if you've been a listener of the show for a while, I am totally obsessed with. Jesse, a former collegiate runner, got his start in triathlon back in 2011 when he entered the Wildflower Triathlon in the pro division as an unknown amateur. He borrowed a bike, since his was broken, and an aero helmet, which he didn't own, and wore $9 aviator sunglasses that he bought at a drugstore. He ended up winning the race, astounding everyone, including the announcer, who, after Jesse crossed that finish line in first place, turned and asked him, what's your name? 
Since then, Jesse has become one of the biggest stars of the triathlon world. He was the first person to win the Wildflower Triathlon four years in a row and now holds an unprecedented six consecutive victories. He won his first two Ironmans on two of the toughest courses on the planet and finished 16th in his first Ironman World Championships in Kona this October. In 2010, Jesse and his wife, professional runner Lauren Fleshman, who was a guest on the show back in season four, co-founded Picky Bars, a real food energy bar company, which has grown to a nationally distributed brand with 10 full-time employees. Lauren and Jesse and their son Jude live in Bend, Oregon, like me, which is where Picky Bars is based. You can find Jesse's stories of how he balances his CEO responsibilities with professional athletics and family in his popular triathlete magazine column called The Triathlife. In this episode, Jesse shares all the hellacious details about his recent experience at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, how wrecked he was by the end of the race, how deep he had to dig to even finish, the mistakes he made before and during the race, and more. We talk about his early days as a collegiate runner at Stanford and the evolution of both his careers in sport and in business. He talks about the day he first met his wife, Lauren, and shares the story of the first moment he realized he wanted to marry her. Jesse also tells us the lessons he's learned from his first three years as a dad and about his dreams and goals for the future of his family, his business, and his athletic career. Jesse is such a kind, honest, and hilarious person, and it was such a treat to record this episode with him. I hope you love it. Awesome. We are rolling. Jesse, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, for making the time. Um, so here's a fun fact. So today at the time of this recording, October 28th is my two year anniversary. This is two years ago today and that we Fantastic. basically would not have moved here if it weren't for you and Lauren and your Instagram and all the amazing pictures <laughs> you posted of Ben. So thanks. Yeah, well, no, you're welcome. Um, thanks for coming. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome actually to see, you know, the, the people that have, that have moved to Bend and, um, you know, in, in some way or another, you know, somewhat influenced by Lauren and I, it's been, it's actually, it, it's, uh, it is a small, uh, you know, area of pride for, for us. I think, you know, we love this place. I always said I was Ben's, Ben's biggest fan, Ben's biggest ambassador that I should be sponsored by Bend. And it's probably true. I mean, at this point, be. the city definitely <laughs> owes you guys a commission. For, exactly. I had, I had never even heard of Bend until oh, really? it was finding out through Wazelle, then learning who Lauren was, yeah. and seeing these pictures on oh. your guys' Instagram. And I'm like, what? Did I mean, I grew up in Manhattan. Like, you didn't yeah, yeah, know what totally. Bend was, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, but I love it here. So thanks, man. Yeah, no. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's my question. On social media, Jesse M. Thomas, M. Everywhere, what's the M stand for? Uh, my middle name, McDonald. Family name? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From my, um, is actually my... My dad's mom's maiden name. Okay. So she was whatever, I don't know. I'm not very good at like history, at family history stuff. But um, he, she was Grace McDonald. And when she married um, Gail Thomas, she became Grace Thomas. And then my dad, um, they gave his middle name uh, was McDonald as well. So he was Gary McDonald Thomas. And then so he had to deal with having McDonald be his middle name. So he figured that. His son should also have to deal with that his entire life. Did you do that to your son? No, too? we didn't. <laughs> no, no, we gave Jude. Um, Lauren wanted to give Jude something kind of like crazy, weird, or not really crazy, not like weird, but something like that was a little bit like meaningful to us for um, 
for uh, Jude's middle name. So we named him Iger, which is not like a typical name, but it's the name of a of a mountain in um, Switzerland that Lauren and I visited on our honeymoon. That was kind of like one of those super fun memories that we have. And then it also makes his his um, initials Jet. J-E-T, which we thought was kind of cool and could be a nickname potentially if he ever wanted it to be or if somebody else wanted it to be, but we'll see. Right now, he just likes saying his full name all the time. I'm <laughs> Jude Iger Thomas. I'm Jude Iger Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, yeah. so speaking of family names, family things, what's a piece of advice that you got when you were younger from your parents that has actually proved to be real useful? Oh, man. <sighs> so... um you know, so much. Um, I don't know. The first thing that pops into my head um, would be just uh, believing in yourself. I mean, it's super, it's super, um, that's super cliche, right? But I think that my, my dad in particular, like athletically, but also my mom, uh, just in general, would just uh, fill me full of like confidence, when I was young. And, and I think about that with Jude now, um, trying to do, trying to be similar, you know? Um, I think the only downside of that was that maybe I was a little like too confident for, (laughs) for, for a long time. Um, probably until I was like, until I kind of wasn't as successful as I, you know, thought I should be like in college. Um, but, um, but I think, Erring on the side of overconfidence when you're young is probably better than being on the side of underconfidence. So, um, so I think that was really good. They just always told, you know, it was just like that basic stuff. Like you can do anything you want. You can do it as well as anybody else. You can do this. You can do that if you just work hard enough for it. And that's something that's really resonated with me. Is there like a habit or a behavior or something that you see yourself doing now and you're like, oh my God, I'm totally my dad? Um, yeah. I um, try to get Jude to do things that he has no interest whatsoever. <laughs> That's me totally being my dad. Things like what? <laughs> what do you want him to do? That he oh, just do? no. I mean, it's really funny. Like, I mean, things that I'm really into that like, like I think about my dad being really into like certain things and how I was just like, ah, oh, I just don't really want to do that. And I mean, even just like riding my bike, like we got Jude a Strider. He was just like not interested in it. He finally did get semi-interested in like a regular bike with pedals. Cause he sees me riding my bike with pedals, but you know, with, with training wheels, but then he's just a lot less interested in that type of stuff than I think I was. I mean, I, you know, he's only three, so it's hard and I don't have any like real memories of what I was like when I was three, but, um, he's like really interested in just like books <laughs> and pretending and like just doing stuff like in the house. And I don't, Maybe when I was only three, like, I don't remember being that interested in that type of stuff when I was young, but my first memories are like five and six. I just remember being much more active. So anyway, back to your question uh, about my dad. Um, That's the main thing I see is just me like being like, oh, let's go do this. Or my dad being like, oh, let's go play the guitar or let's go do whatever. Me being like, I don't really want to do that. (laughs) Having no interest. So 30 years from now, I'm just going to be like, I didn't want to ride my bike. Exactly. (laughs) Have you found that your relationship with your parents has evolved at all since you've become a dad yourself? Oh, totally. Yeah. I have, um, I have, uh, you know, uh, just 
phenomenally much more appreciation for what they went through than I did. You know, it's so much harder um, than you than you think it's going to be, and it's greater in a lot of ways too. So it, it balances itself out, but um, but it's a lot of work. You know, I think my mom. Um, you know, a, a couple things. You know, my my earliest memories of my parents are my parents getting divorced, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like, so it's I don't have, so I, I hopefully will have different have different memories than Jude has, and um, and so you know, I remember like my dad uh, really struggling with us not you know uh, being around, and um, when I was really young, and my and my mom, and I remember a lot of like traveling back and forth between dad and mom, you know, on weekends and stuff like that. But, um, so I think like the, you know, the, uh, I think the main thing that we connect on though, uh, you know, being parents now is just like an understanding of what they went through. Like, you know, I couldn't imagine like missing, um, like not seeing Jude for like a week, every week, you know what I mean? And, um, and I can't imagine being my mom who, after she got divorced, had primary custody of Joel and I and, um, and went back to business school in Eugene, which is absolutely unbelievable to me. Like, cause I went to business school at university of Oregon in Eugene and it was like full gas nonstop for two years, everything I could do just to like keep up with it. And she was doing that with two kids on her own, which is absolutely nuts. And, um, you know, I mean, Lauren and I can barely handle one kid together. Well, you guys have like 19 jobs, so like, yeah. I think you're selling yourself a little well, short. <laughs> but I mean, it just, so the, those are the, those are the main things, you know, that I think about, and, um, you know, just having much more appreciation for what it means to be a parent and the sacrifices that you make for your own personal sacrifices, like of, you know, you can't be, I can't be the best triathlete possible when I'm a parent. Like you just, you, or, you know, you can't, you can't approach it in the same way. And same thing for business, you know, you make sacrifices, you just can't, I can't be there, I can't solve every problem in the way that I want to solve it, because, you know, the end of the day comes, and I want to go back home, and, I, and I've made a promise to myself and to Jude to be a good dad, and that's like, comes to sacrificing to being a great business person, you know? Interesting, okay, yeah. well, I'm sure this will touch on a lot of things yeah, yeah, that we're totally. going to talk about, but... So you're now, what, a couple weeks out from Kona? It was a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it'll be three weeks, actually, tomorrow. So, uh, I mean, obviously, I know what Kona is. You know Mm -hmm. what Kona is. For people who don't, will you give a little context on that? Yeah, so Kona is the Ironman World Championships. It's probably, for people that don't, that aren't familiar, it's probably the only Ironman that you've ever heard of, (laughs) that you ever talk about. And when you ask, when you hear somebody does Ironman, you probably ask them if they've done Kona. Um, it is, uh, an Ironman is a triathlon, swim, bike, run, um, swim 2.4 miles, uh, bike 112 miles and run a marathon 26.2 miles. And so Kona is like the iconic historic race. It's, it now it has been the world championships for 30 plus years and, um, and I race, you know, I race professionally. So you have to qualify to, well, everyone, even age groupers, uh, amateurs qualify to race in Kona, but, um, the pros have to qualify via 
even maybe a more stringent um, qualification procedure and getting points from different races to get there. So this is my first race. It's known for clearly its competition with the best competitors in the world, um, but also just like it's brutal, brutal heat. So it, it makes the combo of that and the competition makes it like, you know, one of the hardest races you can do out there. And it was the hardest race I've ever done. <laughs> I can't wait to hear more about it. I watched the whole thing, watched the whole coverage. Oh I was gosh. so pumped for you. Congratulations. Yeah, 16th in the world. How does that yeah. feel? No, it feels really, really good. I think, um, you know, overall, overall, really, really good. Uh, you know, if I'm being totally honest, um, which I am in this podcast always, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very happy with it. I'm very satisfied with it. I didn't, um, I raced as hard as I possibly could. There was no, I couldn't have gotten, I couldn't have gone one second faster in that race than I did on that day. Um, I think that I've made some mistakes in the race that cost me quite a bit. And I think I made some mistakes leading into the race that cost me quite a bit. Um, and so overall it wasn't my best performance, like, uh, numbers wise and kind of how I felt and everything else. So there's a tiny bit of disappointment with that. Um, knowing that, uh, knowing, I think pretty clearly that there's more in the tank for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the ultimate thing is what you, you know, you do what you can do on the day. And that's, and that if I had, if I had ever raced any other race that hard, I would have finished like so much faster. Like that was just the hardest I've ever gone. You know, so it was the deepest and the, yeah. The going into it, to. what were your like pre-race dreams or expectations? Like the night before, what did you, what yeah. did you think? I mean, I was, I basically right about where I was, to be honest, I thought a top 15, a top 20 would be pretty good. Um, depending on the day. And I thought I had, a, I thought I had a legit shot at top 10 with a, um, with a good, with a really good day. And, um, and having raced the race, that's basically, I was right. You know, that's basically what happened. Um, you know, I was kind of, I was, uh, kind of 33rd in the ranking system for like the points that you accumulate to get in there. I think there were some, there were some people that, um, there were lots of people that thought I was going to podium because I beat the guy that won. Um, you know, but that was a, people that know, um, that know the sport and know, you know, kind of the dynamics behind it, know that that wasn't like, that was, that wasn't like his best day. Um, that we, he was kind of gearing up for another race a couple months later. So, um, people that know the sport, um, thought that I basically had the same expectations that I did, thought that I had a shot at top 10 was probably like a top 20 guy. Um, and that's basically what happened. When you said you made some mistakes beforehand, before the race, what do you mean? I made the typical mistakes that I promised myself I wouldn't make, which was like train too hard, basically. Um, long story short, was train too hard. And, um, and it was a combo actually of that and probably not resting enough after my win at Ironman Lanzarote, which kind of like solidified my qualification for the race. So I did that race in Lanzarote. That was the end of May. That was where I beat uh, Jan Frodeno, who is the, who was the reigning world champion and then also won the world championships again. Um, incredible. I mean, you know, the best triathlete I think ever in the world and, um, is also a gold medalist and, and a really nice guy. Um, and, uh, 
So I won that race, had like pretty much, I, you know, you could basically say like career performance. And um, I took like a week, week and a half off and uh, kind of got back into things. And then without being conscious about it, just got back into things like faster and harder than I should have. You know, it wasn't like a conscious, like, I really want to get going. I just actually kind of felt good. I was coming off of a high. I had raced and kind of peaked and then rested a little bit. And I just like, um, wasn't really structured. And, uh, my training wasn't too structured. And I think I just started doing stuff harder than I should have. And then by the time like August came around, I was pretty buried and I was like doing these really hard sessions and they weren't feeling very good and they weren't going. Some of them I had, I was kind of like, I was just inconsistent, had some stuff that was good and some stuff that wasn't great. And then um, got a little worried about it when I raced in September, um, a half Ironman and felt pretty shitty. Um, and then, but we, you know, I rested up a whole bunch and we kind of thought that maybe I, would, I was going to bounce back. But I think ultimately on the day, I didn't feel like it. Okay. Well, yeah. lessons learned, right? Yeah. So I'm so curious about, I mean, an Ironman, it's a very long time to yeah. be out there, like doing yeah. anything, yet alone actually racing and trying to get the best yeah. out of yourself. So like internally, I don't know, like talk me through kind of what you were thinking on the start line and like how the race went like for you inside yourself, like how you were feeling, what you were thinking about. Yeah, it was, um, so I mean, it's three stages, right? And, um, and I don't want to like go, I'm not going to go through the whole race, but I I think, uh, you know, the swim for me is always a complete shit show. It's basically (laughs) just like the worst thing imaginable. I feel completely like insecure um, cause I don't have a swimming background and most of the guys that are racing against do. And so I'm not a good swimmer. You can't see anything. You, you know, you don't know who's around you, how good you're doing. You just like feel guys just like pulling away from you basically. And I am going literally as hard as I can. Like for me, an Ironman is a 50 minute swim or 50 to 60 minute swim. Let's say as hard as I can to start the race. <laughs> like that's pretty much it. It's a one hour time trial. And then you're going to go race for like seven, seven and a half more hours after that. And, and try to pace yourself for the other stuff because there's a, there's a, there's, you know, benefit to me coming out with the highest, the higher up I can, uh, swimming wise. So anyway, so that's what, that's the way the swim felt. The swim felt super long. The two other Ironman swims that I had done were two lap courses. So we kind of like came back into the beach halfway and like did a tiny run around a cone and, and went back in the water. And this one wasn't, it was just like a long out and back. And so it just felt, it just felt forever. I mean, 2.4 miles is a long time to do anything, but to swim. Uh, <laughs> so long. And it was just, so I just kept like, you know, just kind of like wondering where I was. I also usually swim with a watch, um, that I could like kind of have semi covered by my wetsuit, uh, but it's a non wetsuit swim. And, um, and, but I can look at my watch, like when I'm swimming and see like, all right, I'm 10 minutes, I'm 20 minutes, I'm whatever. And like, when you're out there, I mean, without, I couldn't do that because it wasn't a wetsuit swim and it just, and I also just didn't want the extra drag and everything else. And so, um, it just, it was a total mind game. So you get out of the water and yeah. are you feeling good, strong? I felt, I felt satisfied with where I was. Um, I came out, I, when you get out of the water, you kind of see like, oh, okay, I'm around the guys that I should be around. Like I, you know, cause the whole swimming, you're like, oh my God, I'm in like a terrible group. I'm just, everybody's pulling away from me. <laughs> and so, 
you do that and then you get out, you know, and I got out, I saw Sebastian Keenly, who is kind of my proxy, who is, um, who is a previous Kona champion and one of the best kind of bikers and pretty, maybe the best biker in the sport. And I usually come out with him and, and he's a good person. So, um, I saw him and a couple other guys and I was like, all right, I'm in the right group. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I started riding, I rode, I rode while I was looking at my power meter, right. That's how we judge pace on bike. And, um, and felt pretty comfortable. I tried to, I told myself I was going to be really relaxed and that I was going to ride my own pace, use uh, the kind of group when it benefited me and not when it didn't. And, um, and I went through, uh, you know, and then long story short of what happened was that I think I just didn't, I was expecting to kind of hit the same kind of power or pace numbers as my previous Ironmans. And so when I went out hard, with some really good bikers, it felt hard, but I was kind of like, Oh, it's not, it's not really out of the realm of what I should be expecting out of myself. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm okay. It's hard. That's okay. It's the far front half of the race. It's going to be that way. It's not like crazy. And then, but then by the time I hit the turnaround point, it had, it was obvious that it was way too hard for the heat and for the environment and everything else. And for the way that I felt, and, um, I got popped. We bridged up to, to the front of the race. I was at the front of the race briefly for maybe 20 minutes. And then they started like surging a little bit. And normally to be honest, like those surges would have been totally piece of cake, like no problem. But I just felt fucking terrible. <laughs> so what, you fall off the pack and you're yeah. riding alone and, and just like, like, what happens I in your brain pack, at that yeah, like 10 minutes, 10 minutes before the turnaround. And then I'm just like, this is going to be, I have 50 miles, 55 miles to go. And, um, and I'm completely by myself (laughs) and it's hot. And I feel, I felt at that point at the turnaround of the bike, I was like three and a half hours, let's say into the race. And I remember being like, I have five hours of racing to go and I feel completely wrecked. And so, uh, so it was just a huge like mind game, you know, I just like, I just tried, I tried not to, I stopped looking at my power stuff and I was like, all right, no judgments on like pace or effort or whatever, or or just go off of effort. Don't look at like the result and just try to ride like what feels like a good effort, even though you know, it's going to be a lot slower than what you're normally riding. And I did that. And I just, you know, luckily I had done every training ride prior to Kona by myself, no music, no nothing, just like, and that was conscious to be used to that feeling. Because I thought that there was a chance I wouldn't come out with the swim group that I wanted to, that I would be riding alone for a lot of the ride and I would pace myself to do that. And so that's what I did. I didn't think I'd be doing it like completely smoked and kind of like, while everybody's flying away and having that kind of like negative energy coming back to you because of that. But that's what I did. And I just tried to be, I tried to pretend that I was happy. Like when I would randomly pass guys that also got popped, I'd be like kind of upbeat or whatever, you know? Um, and then when guys would pass me, I'd, I'd give like everything to stay with them and I have absolutely nothing. And then, and then it was just kind of like riding in and I was already cramping and I was like, how the hell am I going to, how the hell am I going to run much less run a marathon? And I was like, didn't know that I was, 
I really just was like, when I got in, I, I, when I got in to finish, I wasn't like, okay, now it's runtime. This is your specialty. Like, you know, let's, let's do it. You're X minutes out of the top 10. It was literally like, dude, I can't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to run like 26 miles much or run period. So just going to run mile by mile. And that was it. And, um, and you know, I mean, this is, if this is turning into way too long of a recap, but I think the, like, you know, the run was basically a lot of the same. The run was basically that just extended for three hours. It was just like, I never felt good. I always felt bad. I always felt like I was, like I was running slow I never really had great hopes about where I was going. It was just like, just keep running and just run mile by mile. And I did end up passing people and people and it's attrition. People dropped out. And so I knew that I was climbing up, you know, cause I probably started the run in like 28th place or something like that. And a few people dropped out and I probably passed net of eight people. I, I got passed by a few people too. And, um, you know, and it just kind of came in. The last eight miles was the was the most brutal thing because I really started cramping. Like I had to stop a couple times uh, at the turnaround with about eight miles to go, and um, and it was just it was just a death march. It was so hot. I mean, it sounds it sounds so brutal. I remember. I think it was in the race recap that you put on your site or somewhere yeah. that you said afterwards, you said I was done and a hundred percent toasted when I crossed that line. It's yeah. easy, easily the deepest I've ever gone. No, it was for sure. I mostly collapsed across the finish line, um, into the, the, you know, into the arms of a medical person, um, or kind of stumbled in, they, they grabbed me and, um, and then I, they carried me straight over to the med tent and I just laid there for probably like 40 minutes uh, with my feet up getting with ice stuff you know all over my body and and um and yeah and I couldn't and I was just completely wrecked just it was just the heat and the and the way that I raced and just being like so over the edge for so long that um it was it was brutal so what do you, if it's the, like, when you say that, that's the deepest that you've ever had to dig, what do you think let you access that place versus in previous races? Just wanting to honor, I, cause I thought about, I had lots of time to think about it. <laughs> it's why a long the, race. Why the fuck do I care about this right now? Like, you know, I'm semi, I'm happy with top 10 or a top 15, top 20, you know, and I was right in that range for a little while. Um, and, uh, for most of it. And, um, it was mostly just like honoring the commitment that I had made. And to be honest, the, that others had made to me in the, in the lead up to that race, you know, I was like, dude, I, this is like, this is not only like I busted my ass to get here to prepare for this, train the hardest I've ever trained, sacrifice the most I've ever sacrificed. And, um, and so did Lauren and June and, the whole picky bars team and my parents and my brother and my sister-in-law and my coach and like everybody that like helped me get ready for this race, my sponsors, right? Um, like my sponsors that didn't even ask me really to do much like the week before, you know, it was just like everybody kind of gave their piece to it. And I was just like, I can't just like trudge home, even though, you know, I'm not having a great race. And I'm really proud that I did because I could, it would have been really easy to trudge home and finish like even 19th or 22nd or whatever. And it probably wouldn't have made a massive difference to like, you know, most people. But to me, like that 16th was like, 
that was the best I could do. And that that's, that's important. So not just with this race, but like with triathlon or with athletics in general for you, what drives you? Um, I think the, a couple of things, exploring my limits has always intrinsically driven me. Um, you know, running a, doing a trail run out to some new place and just pushing as far as I can go like and deep and like the positive feedback you get from doing something like that. But I think with professional racing, the, so that's, that's, that's a massive part of it. The other massive part of it with professional racing is the like legitimate positive feedback I get from the people that respond positively to my stories basically you know and whether it like inspired them or gave them courage or made them laugh or made them cry or whatever it is like that like it elicited a response and that um I get I love that like that's the coolest part for me for me I think more so than probably anybody in the sport I'm just a storyteller and and I like to whether I win or lose, it's like the story is the fun part for me. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's a big part of what drives me. Like even out there, like when you're suffering, I'm like thinking about, oh man, what am I going to say about this race? How am I going to tell you about this? It's so awful, you know? And like, um, I don't know. So that's it. You know, probably that. Yeah. No, I mean, I love that. First of all, you are such a good storyteller. I love reading your race recaps and I mean, have no desire to ever do a triathlon ever. So (laughs) the fact that anyone, anyone else would love it too. But, um, you know, I think that concept of like when something's really hard thinking, how am I going to tell this story? I find that it makes it easier to get through things because it's almost like you're watching yourself like you're the lead in the movie and it's totally. like, okay, well how, how, who do I want to be in this respond? moment? Right? Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. I love I, that. I totally think about it. And I think about the feedback that I've got that I get from, you know, people on social media or people on my blog or whatever. And like, um, you know, it just makes it, it makes it less about you and less about that kind of just like super internal suffering thing and more just like external being like, all right, let's just, you know, respond to this, create the story, you know? And, um, and then if it's a good story, the outcome doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, that's the main thing. Like it could be, could be happy. It could be sad. If it's a good story, it's a good story. I mean, I also think the world needs, I mean, you mentioned pushing the limits before people to do that openly, like to do that and talk about it. Like there's something, I mean, I think the word inspirational gets thrown around a lot, but there is something I think that's really like that can be accomplished through sport in a way that nothing else, like when someone puts it all out there and you can watch that and totally. like hear about like, that's, I don't know, like that, I think that like splits people open, even that aren't athletes or something totally. that's like really moving about that. I think so too. And I think particularly when you don't accomplish the goal, yeah, <laughs> like, um, you know, I mean, for me, for everyone, for the most part, the, you know, failure resonates more with us than success. I mean, most people, you know, that you don't get, you don't accomplish everything you wanted to accomplish. I mean, that's just, that's how it works. And so, you know, that going through that process and then like, how do you respond to when you know you're not going to accomplish your goal and, and all that type of stuff? I think that, 
that's really that that resonates with people, you know, because that's that's people's lives, you know. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned sacrifices before. Mm-hmm. Um, what are a couple of specific things that you have had to sacrifice in order to keep, you know, competition at this level like as high as it has been? Um, uh, family and work. So those are the those are the main two things. Um, uh, you know, work more so because I. I have, you know, less of a tolerance to sacrifice family stuff, but I have sacrificed family stuff. Um, so with work, it would be, you know, I'm a part-time CEO at Piggy Bars and, um, and a massive, and there's a massive range to that part-timeness. Like actually right now I'm full-time. I've been full-time the last couple few weeks. Um, but you know, in August, in September, I mean, I was there, I was in the office and probably working on picky bar stuff five to 10 hours a week, you know? So, I mean, doing very little. Um, and, uh, that definitely impacts, you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not everything to that company. We have amazing employees that keep it going. They're really smart, really passionate, but when I'm gone versus when I'm there, it, there's a big difference, yeah. you know, and, um, and it's not a massive difference in day to day stuff, but it's a massive difference in just kind of like the strategic direction of where we're going and like, um, you know, what our opportunities are and everything else and how, how we can bend the rules to make things work. Um, and so uh, the company, the company suffers from that. Um, but you know, it also probably benefits from me doing some of the things that I do. So it's a mixed bag. And then I think family, I mean, you know, the, 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 the quintessential, the, the thing that I say with, that's different, that's like, so I think a, a nice little like microcosm of the dad that I am is that Jude is when, I don't know for sure. I mean, you, you know, you see other kids that are, that are his age and you kind of like, it's easy to compare him and be like, you know, he's into this, he's not into that. He's ahead in this, he's behind in this. Um, Jude is a amazing um, reader and like comprehension of words, vocally, verbally. Um, and, uh, and he's not really, um, he hasn't shown, he's not, su- like I mentioned, he's not super adept, like physically yet compared to a lot of the kids that are his, a- his age, which is super ironic. He's got two parents that are professional athletes. Right. right? And so, um, but to me, to be perfectly honest, that's a reflection of like what I give him right now when I'm training full time, I'm like a grandpa. Like when I show up, I'm not taking him out biking, like, or swimming or rock climbing or playing basketball. Like I'm literally like on the couch with my feet up, tired as shit. And I'm like, all right, buddy, we have two hours to spend and we're just going to read books because that is all I can do. I'm so tired, you know? And, um, and I think that that reflects in some of the, in some of the ways that he's developed, you know? I mean, he's really young, so it doesn't really matter long term, but. I think there's that. And then, um, you know, I don't, I just don't get to be everything that I want to be, um, in either of those places, you know, and, uh, and it'll be, and because of that, it'll be nice when triathlon is done. Um, cause I'll be able to be more in the, both of those places. And that's exciting to me. Like I get a, I get to like live a little bit of it. Like right now I'm basically like a dad and, and, a, and a normal, like I'm like a dude yeah. that just works and is like a dad. It's awesome. And I get that for about three to four weeks and then it goes away. Do you struggle with any guilt about that? Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, particularly, um, 
somewhat with the business, um, but it's my business ultimately. But I feel guilt to the employees, you know. But but they're they're still making their, you know, they're they're getting their salary out of it. They're getting their experience out of it, and that's good. I, I our business, I think, would be a lot better if I was full time or could had the, had the potential. And then, per, but particularly with family, yeah. I mean, I, I struggle with it all the time, you know. Um, because you just have the one shot. Like I will never be able to have Jude through his three to four to five, you know, maybe even up to six where I'm not a professional athlete. And, um, and that's a bummer, you know, but I just got to do the best that I can. And, um, and, uh, you know, and hopefully he, understands it but the way that I kind of legitimize it to myself is that I don't remember that much up until I was about five and so you know I feel like as long as I am really connecting with him when I'm around and I'm around as much as I can I integrate him into as much stuff as I can then ultimately I don't think that our relationship will will suffer that he'll suffer you know yeah yeah Yeah. I mean I guess he's a good age for it right (laughs) yeah totally it's a lot better now than if you were like seven or eight, Mm -hmm. you know, because then he'd really be doing, you know, whatever practice and this, that and everything else. And I really like, I wouldn't be able to do any of that stuff with him, you know? So pivoting into business a little bit, talking about picky bars, how old were you guys when you started that company? We were, that was 2010. So I had just turned 30, Lauren had just turned 29. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your pre- Picky Bar's career. What were you doing in the couple of years leading up to that? When I finished college, I was a product design kind of product developer, product manager, I guess you could call it. I was the, like um, mostly a, a design engineer, but also a semi-interface with the, with like marketing for our design team. And um, I had a mechanical engineering uh, bachelor's and master's, and basically started a company with four friends in the tech space. Not um, software but hardware developing fuel cell powered heated jackets <laughs> when we started <laughs> we had uh fuel cells we had these micro fuel cells that ran on like um hydrogen we would make hydrogen out of uh out of chemi- hydrogen in, in super small amounts out of um chemical reactions with like you know stable chemicals and we were basically trying to create a consumer product that would use a fuel cell to create heat and to power your devices like a phone or whatever. And, um, and if you use the heat, if you use the fuel cell for both heat and electricity, you got like 95% uh, conversion on like kind of your, like your energy density. So it was like really, you could beat lithium ion batteries and all that other type of stuff. So it was way high tech, like, you know, long story short, it's way high tech, kind of like <laughs> space age, typical Stanford shit. And, um, and I was with four other guys who were four of the smartest guys I've ever known. And, um, I was like clearly the dumb one in the group. (laughs) If you're the dumb one, I think that's a pretty ridiculous group because you are not dumb. (laughs) They were, um, you know, and it was, it was a really cool experience. It was basically like, um, that was my, like, you know, that was my mid twenties. It was, um, it was working 60 to a hundred hours a week in a little, you know, industrial office area in, uh, on third street in San Francisco. And 
we, that we were just friends and just working our asses off, but having a lot of fun too. So what happened to the company? They're still alive. I mean, amazing, you know, I shouldn't say amazingly, uh, they're, they've pivoted a whole bunch. Um, it's called Artica technologies. I mean, you can look them up. They're now creating, um, they have some, uh, industrial applications, some military applications and a few consumer product applications that are like kind of up and coming, but they've raised a whole bunch of money. We raised money when we were there. Um, and they've continued to raise money, but they have revenue now. There's one guy actually in that original, original five that's still working there. Now 10, he's probably on 10, he's probably on 11 years, which is crazy. Especially in that industry. Yeah. People move around yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So what did you learn from the startup that, you know, has shaped maybe how you run Vicky Bars? Um, you know, I don't know. Just, you know, what it takes to make something successful. You know, and, we, and it wasn't to be, you know, and this is not doing Artica any shame now, but it wasn't successful when we were there. I mean, we raised, you know, when I was there, um, they've turned a corner with it quite a bit, but, um, you know, we raised a bunch of money. We spent a bunch of money. We didn't make any income, but that's typical startup tech startup thing. What was cool about Picky Bars was it was the whole opposite end of the business spectrum, which was like, all right, we have a product. The product's done. Like that's, that's literally all I spent like four years doing was just making the figuring out how to make the product and what the product was going to be. Warren made an energy bar at Picky Bars, and now it's like, okay, this is great. Now how do we sell it? How do we distribute it? How do we make it consistently? And uh, what are all the infrastructure, you know, how do we hire employees to help us do it? It was all the, like, infrastructure stuff that was, like, all of a sudden I was like, whoa, this is cool. These are all the different problems that I never got to look at at Artica. And um, that was exciting. Interesting. Okay, so yeah. tell me uh, from your perspective the origin story of Picky Bars. Like when someone says, "Like what was the day that it all began?" What's um, your story? It was so when I finished. So after I went, after I was at Artica, I left and I went to business school, and, I, and that's when I was in business school in Eugene. Lauren and I got married, and then it was after business school. So it was like two years later. Um, I the economy was tanking, and I had some options to go do some businessy type stuff, but. Um, really just wanted to take a break because I've been so full gas from like, you know, time I was like 12 <laughs> to, to then, which was 29. And uh, I, so I started, I went with Lauren to Europe. She was racing and I just started riding my bike and running and swimming. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to try some triathlons. So um, I started training a whole bunch and I was having all kinds of stomach issues. Lauren would say I was just farting a lot. <laughs> and um and I basically like, uh, you know, I was eating like five to 6,000 calories a day and like something was obviously like messed up and it, and it was affecting my training, affecting my health. And so Lauren tried to figure out what the problem was. It was like, she thought it was gluten and dairy. And then I was eating these like bars that weren't really made for like exercise and I wasn't really eating real food. And, and, um, so she just went into like make, try to make something for me that was real food. Uh, gluten and dairy and, and all the kind of major allergens free. Um, and that had like a four to one carb to protein ratio that was good for digesting, you know, um, in and around exercise basically. And she came up with a piggy bar after tons and tons of back and forth, her and her friend, Steph, who was also helping her. Um, who was our other co-founder. And then they made this thing and they were like, and I wasn't involved in it at all. I was just eating them. And um, you were the taste tester. I was totally, I was like the, just the eater. 
and um, they started selling them to their, uh, they had like a little running group that they coached and they were buying them. And um, I helped Lauren. The first thing I did was help Lauren create uh, just like a spreadsheet that she could use to scale the ingredients and um, make bigger batches or whatever, figure out how, how she was going to make stuff consistently. And then they wanted to start selling them. And actually a little known, a little known story about the kind of the real start of picky bars was they were talking about it. They were like, we're going to start selling these. And they were like asking me about like, or actually I just overheard them talking about how much they're going to charge. <laughs> and I was like, you guys should charge. I was like, I wasn't really paying attention. I was working on some other thing for business school. I was like, I think you guys should charge a lot more than that. Cause it's, you know, you got this and this and this, and Lauren's like notorious for, um, I think she could say, I would fairly say that she is notorious for way underestimating the amount of work it takes to like do something, <laughs> you know, she's a dreamer, which is amazing. But then like connecting the end result dream to like what you have to do to get there. Uh, I think she underestimates. So, you know, I was just kind of like, don't start selling them for this, this or whatever. And so I kind of like started talking to him about it. I built him another spreadsheet to help him like figure out the pricing stuff. And then what ended up happening was Steph, who was our original, just kind of like to Steph, I would call like from the, from at the very beginning was just like the person that was just like, we're just going to do this. It's just, you know, this is awesome. We got it all figured out. And, um, she talked to runners, to somebody at runner's world that was doing a call about something. She was like, yeah, Lauren and I are starting an energy bar business. And they were like, Oh, cool. We'll put it in the magazine. And then Steph told us, she's like, yeah, we're going to be in runner's world on whatever. We have like four weeks to like have this be a business. And I was like, Holy shit, what the hell are you talking about? And so we had to, that was when I got involved and like created the website, created, uh, just a basic portal where people could buy the bars and like could see what the bars were about and like all the kind of like super basic marketing stuff. And, um, and then that started the whole thing. And then, then just, you know, just to like wrap it up, that was like, we had the, for me, we launched on, I can't remember. It was like October 17th or something. So we actually just passed our six, our six year, uh, actual day that we kind of say is the first day of the business we, we, we actually hadn't even promoted the website and this was like barely when Twitter was just like all this social media stuff was just kind of starting, but we hadn't even said that the website was out there, but I had it up because I was like testing it and everything else. And we got an order. <laughs> we got an order from this girl, Maggie Smith. So she, there's a chance Maggie might listen to this interview. <laughs> Hi Maggie. <laughs> Cause she, um, um, she was a, one of our original, just awesome supporters and she's, um, a doctor now on the East coast. But, um, but anyway, she ordered and we were like, what the heck this girl, Maggie Smith, who is this? She was a fan of Lauren's that had been following something and, um, you know, kind of discovered the, this, the website. And for me, I was just like, Whoa, revenue, like income. I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. We Cause just, you didn't have that. Yeah, at the we, start yeah, exactly. We just sold something. Now we have money to like put into like something else, you know, it was like really cool. So that's when I started to get like fascinated by it. And I was like, Oh man, this is cool. We're getting sales. And, um, you know, and it just kind of went from there. 
Yeah, it's crazy. That's so fun. Yeah. I, I mean, anyone who listens to this show already knows that I'm obsessed with picky bars. We showed yeah, you, Paul, yeah, and right. I have our picky bars drawer right, right, in our yep. kitchen. Um, it's, I don't know, like I love stories where something was built based on just someone's actual need. Lauren's yeah. like, please stop farting, eat this yeah, bar. Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. And it worked, you know? And it turned out a lot of other people had the same, you know, had similar issues. And, um, and that there really was, there was a, a need for, this kind of what we, you know, we, we position ourselves as real food performance, right? That was like, and we were kind of way ahead of the curve on that stuff. And there, there's more out there now, but we are the first, um, to a certain extent that had that, like, you know, these are like real ingredients that you can pronounce that you understand you're, you're used to and, uh, and they're built to help you perform, you know? So in the past six years, was there ever a time where you guys thought about quitting or where it just got too hard? Oh, yeah. Like, like how many, you mean how many times a day (laughs) (laughs) or or what? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Oh my God. So many times. Yeah. You know, I mean, I go even now that now we're, you know, like, uh, you know, we're, we're big, we're nationally distributed where we've got a whole, you know, hundreds of accounts and thousands and thousands of customers. I still go through days like that. You know, um, and yeah, we, you have tons and tons of ups and downs and probably, and probably more downs than ups, you know, but, um, but as long as you're enjoying the process, it's the same, it's, it's the same thing as the racing. It's like, um, as long as the story's good, it doesn't really matter what the end result is. And so like, yeah, if picky bars like ended up shuttering its doors, you know, like a year from now or whatever, or a month from now, it was like all of a sudden nobody was interested in picky bars anymore. Nobody bought them. They just sat on the shelves and, um, and we ran out of money. Then I would be obviously really disappointed, but I would also be like, that was really fun. And it wasn't a waste of my time. Like that was a cool process. And I learned a lot and, um, and hopefully other pe- a lot of other people learn a lot. And I positively impacted other people's lives and it like mattered to them. And, um, and because of that basic thing, it just makes it all worth it regardless of like what happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For you, I mean, being the CEO, I'm, how do I want to wear this? What's a way that you have had to like grow or become better in order to do this job? Oh, so many ways. I'm, if I was, and I still have so far to go, but if I was, um, you know, if I knew the things or if I was as good at the things now that I am, that I have become over the last six years, I, you know, at the beginning we would have, we would have been a lot more successful, you know? Um, the first few that popped to my mind are just like, um, uh, just doing rather than analyzing or like trying to find out the right answer before doing. Right. So I come from a very analytical background, mechanical engineer, like did crazy math (laughs) and did science all through college. And then I went to business school, which is very analytical as well. Right. Um, and then it's ironic because then when you get into business, that stuff just doesn't matter as much as they preach it. You know, it's really just like, you gotta, you just gotta, you do a little bit and then you just, but it's really like, it should be like 20% analyze, prepare, and then just go try and then come back and prepare go try and come back. And it's, it's iteration. 
It's not analysis. And that, that iteration part is the thing. Like I was so nervous when we started about like every decision, like what's the packaging going to look like and what's the thing going to be and what customers should we try? And like, Oh, should we really try to get into this thing? Because what is that going to mean? Like long-term it's just like, dude, you just got to go do it, you know, and just see what happens. And then, and you'll find out a lot faster what works and what doesn't. So that's the big thing. The other, the other thing I would say, and I don't want to over answer the question, but there are a number of things. The other thing I would say is, um, being like a little bit more of a hard ass, you know, like I wasn't, um, Warren's better at that than I am. I tend to be much more like kind of forgiving. I want everybody to like me type of stuff. And those, those are not good traits for a CEO to have. Okay. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah. Like really when it comes to most of the, I mean, you can look at, there's actual research that supports this, you know, the top CEOs of fortune 500 companies, the research shows that they're, they're mostly like psychopaths. <laughs> to be really honest. You know, like the actual, like literal term for that. I mean, they have very low empathy, um, you know, for people's feelings and they're very highly directed, um, tons of ego, you know, believe that they know what's right all the time and that's it. And, um, and I tend to be very much more like, Oh, let's get like every, I want to hear everybody's opinion and like, and Oh, it's okay that, you know, I understand like that kind of makes me bummed, but I understand that you made a mistake and it's probably partially my fault and like whatever else, you know? And, um, I think now I've become much more direct with my employees. I not, a, not a dick. I'm still me, but, um, much more direct with my employees, my suppliers, like bargaining for, you know, uh, negotiating for stuff. And that's made a massive, that, I think that's made a massive impact on the business too. I mean, from an outside perspective, and of course, correct me if this is total projection, but I would imagine that that gets easier the larger it gets. I mean, because the beginning I pick it bars, it was like the people working for you were, I mean, were your friends. Totally. Or, you know, like as it gets, there's more people to manage. There are people who are literally coming in off the street to be yeah, with you that you, you have no know, relationship. Yeah. yeah. No, that's definitely part of it. I think um, that that's, that's a big part of it. And, um, but actually... Actually, for me, the big thing that was an accelerator in that process, to be honest, was being a dad in a couple of ways. Um, One being that just across the board, all of a sudden, my business, my sport, and my sponsorships and like kind of all the businesses that I have that provide me with like my living and my income became things that were providing my son a living and an income. And then it was like really easy to be protective of it and basically like negotiate harder being like, no, we got to have, we got to do better than that. Like you can give us more or whatever, or, you know, whatever it is. Like I I became more of a hard ass with it. And I think it was just a natural, like fatherly instinct that kind of kicked in when I had a son. And then the other part was being a dad and like, to a certain extent was just like disciplining you know, your kid. And, um, cause you can't, you have to be a hard ass with your kid sometimes. And it's like, you can't just like be like, Oh, it's okay that you did this or whatever else you have to, they have to like learn. And so, um, I think that's helped me as well with, to a certain extent with like, just all the same employers or employees, suppliers, whatever, you know, yeah. um, that, and then also just the experiences of, of just going through, 
hiring people and having them work and, and having them not work and having to let them go or, ha- you know, doing all those types of things. And like the more you do, whatever it is, you just get better at it. Yeah. I mean, also you were talking about sacrifice before, obviously that, you know, doing all these things maybe means that you're not doing any one of the thing to it's a like complete full potential. But I feel like the yeah. flip side of that, I mean, obviously you will never know cause you'll never have lived both yeah, lives. Yeah, right. Totally. Like, but I think the flip side of that is that I would assume that you become a lot more efficient at, all of them because you don't have all of that kind of like waffling around time. Like that it's, you know, okay, well, decisions have to get made. Things have to get done with picky bars. It's like, then I have to go on this, you know, five hour bike ride. And like, even with training, okay, how, what do I absolutely have to do to like bring greatness out of myself and then shut it down and go be a dad and go do, you know, it totally is. It's a constant, like kind of, um, you know, like 80, 20 rule. Right. So you get like, um, Whatever it is, it's 80 20, right? Isn't yeah, it's 80 20. That you get what 80% of your results from 20% of yeah, the effort or of whatever. The effort yeah. or whatever it is, yeah. And then you can spend the rest 80% of the effort trying to get the other 20% of the results, right? And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's constantly like that. And just like you, just like you said, I mean, it's definitely like that in business where I'm just like, all right, this is my focus time. I'm meeting with employees and we're like talking about the important stuff. And as soon as it starts to drift, I'm like, all right, are we done? Yeah. Like, and I'm out. And yeah. I'm out to the next, you know, I'm out to the next thing. And, um, and, and with training too, you know, like, um, part of the reason I train by myself is because I don't have the flex time to be like, oh, okay, when do you want to meet up? And we'll be there here and there. It's be like, dude, I got two hours. I literally have two hours to get a two hour bike ride in. I need to be home get on my bike, start riding like immediately. And then I need to be back because I got to take you. And so, um, you know, you lose. So there's a lot of stuff like that, you know, and then even just focus that, you know, I cut sessions, you know, cause I get, I run out of time or it gets too long. And it's like, what's the important point of this session? Like what are the intervals I need to do or whatever? Um, and let's make it a little bit shorter and maybe I can make it, I do a lot of, uh, making up training, you know, where I'm like, I was supposed to do a four hour ride a day, but I only had time to do three hours. So I'm going to tack an hour onto whatever, you know, the following week, you know, or the following day or whatever. So do a lot of stuff like that too. I mean, I think that's a super important life skill that 80, 20, being able to actually see like, what are the couple of things that if I put my energy and effort here are going to have the results. Like, I mean, I think about that even with the podcast, the thing that matters is exactly what we're doing right now. I can refresh social media or my email like as many times as possible, or like fantasize about who I want to have on the show. Like this, actual this what we're doing that's that's it that's the only thing that matters and yeah it's a really good perspective to have and being able to tell the difference between like busy work or things that I do that make my ego feel good versus things that actually are going to produce results right like it's possible to go through the motions of running or training or whatever but like that's not necessarily the same as having a quality workout I totally agree I totally agree I try to every day I have, I just use a really simple list. I have a, I use Wonderlist, which is a normal, like it's just an app that tons of people use. It's just, it, it's just literally just like a to-do list and you can make sub to-dos and whatever else you can share it with people. There's, there's like lots of functionality that I don't really use that much, but, um, but I just try to keep a list of the, the things that I have to do and I try to just prioritize them and it's just really simple and I, and it's all mixed up in there. Picky bars, triathlon stuff, family stuff. It's all mixed up. And I have to choose what are the priorities between those. And I list them. And there's usually like, there's usually like 20 to 40 things on that list every day. And 
I usually get like two to like three of them done. You know what I mean? And so, and it's, so it's, and it's, but it's a constant just like being okay with that, you know, like, okay, I'm going to get, it's just, it's more important that I get these three things done than I get like eight of these other things like partially done. Totally. You know I, mean? I mean, and, but I didn't think to your point yeah. before, that's like a trial and error thing too. Yeah, it's it like is. you have to iterate. I mean, yeah. one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got around this type of, I don't know if we yeah. want to call it like productivity or yeah, time management totally. or whatever, was this idea that like when you look at that list of like 20 things, yeah. whatever, like being able to identify what's the one thing that if I do it either takes other things off the list yeah, or totally. makes them irrelevant or like if I never did the quickest thing to get something off your list is just not do it. Like yeah, what would happen if I just didn't totally, do this totally. thing, right? Like 100%. so much of what we do, I feel like we operate from this place of, well, I have to check my email every day, but like, do you really? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, no. it's, that was, email was the big one for me just email and social media, you know, to a certain extent too, because it's similar for me. It was just like coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to reply. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't physically like reply to everyone. Um, which know, is hard to come to when really you are clearly hard. a nice yeah, person. And, and I like... want to, and I, and I try my hardest and I try to get back to everyone that reaches out to me for something, but I just like, I just can't do it. And so, um, you know, coming to that, yeah. Coming to terms with that is, is a big thing. You know, and also not starting, not starting your day or starting your work session or starting whatever it is on email, because then it's just like, your eyes just go across and you get distracted (laughs) by this and that and everything else. It's like, start your day on that list. Like I always like whenever, when I get into the office, I start, I have my computer closed and I sit there and I think (laughs) that's how I start my, my day. I'm like, what do I need to do today? And the most important things will always pop up into your brain. Yes. And the unimportant shit won't. And so, but when you look at email, all the unimportant shit gets flashed in front of you. So yeah, that's, that's what I try to do. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Okay. So totally separate topic. Yeah. Do you remember the day that you met Lauren? <laughs> yeah, totally. Very specifically. Okay. So tell yeah. me, tell me about it. We, um, she was a, uh, I was, so I was a freshman at Stanford. We were, we, um, and freshmen at Stanford hosted recruits, right? They were coming in from high school. And um, we had kind of, we had, and we usually had like a few main recruiting weekends. So um, this one weekend I was hosting somebody um, and so were some other guys and so were some other girls. And we always tried to get them together because it just made it more fun. And, um, and so Lauren was hosted by uh, one, of, one of our friends on the team. And we were just at this like, dorm room thing like playing pool and um and I remember I just remember I remember Lauren I remember meeting her and um and then I remember her just like like I was trying to play pool and I was kind of like trying to be my normal self like kind of you know just whatever I mean it wasn't it wasn't like Lauren I, I saw her and I was like oh my god this girl's awesome I was just like being being my normal self around whatever and um and more than anything, I just remember Lauren just like flicking me tons of shit and <laughs> just being like super, I actually called it, she was super sassy. <laughs> and I remember talking to like her host, one of my friends on the team just being like, geez, that girl's like really sassy. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't like a necessarily like an endearing thing. I was just like, man, she's just like, she's just got, you know, tons of like sass. <laughs> And, um, 
And, and that was pretty much it. I mean, that was, that was like one night, you know, and like we probably spent an hour and a half around each other. And, uh, and then, um, and then the next year, you know, she came and I remembered her from that, from that thing. I was like, from her sassy, from her sassiness. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, that's the girl that was just like flicking me all kinds of shit. Like I was trying, maybe I was trying to be cool or whatever, but she was just like totally cutting me down. And, um, but not like in a mean way, but just like, just giving me lots of shit competitive in a competitive way. And I think that, um, that was, you know, but we, you know, I don't want to go through the whole entire story. Or, when know. she talked about it a lot when she was on the show. Okay, too, yeah, so, totally. yeah. so, I mean, so that, that was basically it. And then we, you know, and then when she came to uh, Stanford, we were just, we, we just actually became friends. Because I kind of had a, an interest with, a, to a certain, a, kind of an interest with another girl on the team at that time, like when, from, from a girl that uh, I had known for a year at that point. And then, um, and I was also just really like, my sophomore year when Lauren came in, I was really like super focused on doing really well. So it was kind of like just not, it just wasn't an important part of like being in a relationship for me at that time. So we just kind of became friends and then, you know, but within chip, within three or four months, we were kind of like had identified that it was, that there was more of a connection there than what I thought. And um, yeah. And then, and we got together and then the rest is history. We were together and then not together and then together and not together and together. She told that story. And then yeah. finally it was like, all right. Yeah. So lots of, like I said, we were off and on for seven years, mostly off. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, finally just kind of like, I think like, uh, you know, I just think of like two, you know, boxers. They're just like, stagger up to the 15th round and they're just like look at each other like fuck you you want to just call it a tie all right let's just do it <laughs> and romance I, yeah exactly <laughs> obviously incredibly in love but um but yeah i think we i think we beat ourselves and each other up quite a bit too along the way so she's obviously had an amazing athletic career yeah. of her own what was it like for you watching her compete like is there a race of hers that really sticks out in your mind yeah totally um there are kind of two eras of me watching her compete when i was when i was first met her and we first started dating it was really hard because she was so much more successful than i was and i was underperforming per my expectations in college so that that was and that was part of the rockiness of our relationship was just kind of me coming to terms with um my ego basically and not it was a combo of dating someone that's that's better than you but also just that was part of it but it was also like just me not doing as you know not being as good as I thought I was um or as I wanted to be and so so that part was really hard um and then but then after I was uh you know but I was still supportive of Lauren obviously still you know her biggest fan and um and then, uh, but then, yeah. And then I remember, um, you know, but then watching her afterwards, actually, I've just, I, a memory just popped into my head. Um, I remember specifically, this is crazy. Cause I actually, I remember saying it, I have a memory stuck in my head. Um, I said, um, Lauren was running. This is crazy. Cause it was way early. So I'm trying to actually place it from the actual race itself. 
but yeah, we started dating in like February of her freshman year. And so this would have been like May of her freshman year because it was Mount Sac. She was racing at Mount Sac and I wasn't, um, because I wasn't racing very well. And, um, and I was watching online for just the results to pop up basically. Cause that was the only way that you had that you could watch anything. And I remember like just waiting and like pressing refresh on the computer and my, my roommate who was another guy on the track team sitting there and I'm like, like, man, I can't believe how like nervous I am about this race, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I actually told him that I was like, dude, this is crazy weird, but I think I'm going to marry Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I said that like, cause I was like, just, I was like, I had just never felt that strong of a connection to someone, you know, and like, it mattered to me so much, like how well she was going to do or whatever, or whatever it was like, whether she did well or not, it just mattered to me. And I was just like, you know, for the most part at that time, I was like 19 or 20. The only things that really mattered to me were like myself, <laughs> You know, and so I was just like, I think I'm going to marry this girl. And he was like, whoa, that's cool. You're crazy, man. <laughs> and then uh, she had, you know, and then, and then, and I remember that because it was a momentous race as well. Cause she broke a, like a national junior record or something like that. And, um, and had a really amazing performance. And I just remember, I remember saying that, but then, sorry, I'm over answering your question. No, I love it. That's yeah, great. But long, uh, Post all that, after I was done running and kind of like in my, well, Lauren and I didn't really communicate too much in, in a lot of my Artica days, but then, you know, when I was like in business school and she was still racing, um, you know, it was, I mean, it was the coolest thing ever to watch her do well. And it was the most heartbreaking thing ever to watch her like fail. Like some of, it's so silly because they're not sad things, but some of like the saddest moments of my life are like watching her not succeed. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, yes, yeah, crazy. So what's something that you think that you guys like fundamentally really have in common between the two of you? Um, uh, independence. It's the first thing that popped into my head. I think we, Lauren and I would, are compatible with a small range of people long-term, right? I think we both have things that make us compatible with lots of people. We're fun or whatever. We're like, you know, just normal, I think generally good people. But um, the thing that makes us work is that we, neither of us is too needy of the other person. We do need the other person, particularly now as we have a kid together and like everything else. But the other people that I've, um, you know, dated, dated and similar for Lauren too, it's, but it's maybe, you know, generally a little bit more so with women more than men. But, um, I was just like, um, I felt like suffocated sometimes, you know, around, around people and, um, felt like, Hey, I got to go do my own thing. And like, it's, you know, it's okay. It's, you know, we're, everything's still good, but I got to go, I want to go spend time doing this. And Lauren was like the, you know, and I, and I love you or whatever. And it's like, you know, but, um, but I need to, I, I'm really focused on doing these things that are important to me. And Lauren was like the first person that I was like together with. that was like, 
really at that like same level where it was like it wasn't intimidating to her. She had her, all of her own stuff going as well, you know, and it was like, um, and uh, it was just much more balanced, you know. And I think Lauren had the same experience too with, yeah. with some of the people that she did. It's interesting. I yeah. uh, that makes me think about something that Paul and I have talked about that there's a difference. I mean obviously we are not athletes on the level that you are, but I think like some of the time stuff still winds up being the same. Like, Oh, you know, he wants to go out on his bike for four hours or do whatever. Right. And that one of the things that we talked about early on, like in around, you know, when we got married, that there's a difference between being supportive of someone else and actually getting it, that it's not just, okay, honey, like you can go bike for four hours. I'm like, yeah, go do that. Cause I also want to go do running. Like it's, I don't know that there's something there that I think is, I don't know, then no one feels really resentful and no That's one... That's the main yeah. thing. You're not building up resent, right? Yeah. Resentment. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that is, I think that's super important. And it's not, and, and it's, you know, I'll qualify all that with saying, obviously it's not the, um, it's not that one way, one level of kind of like independence is better than another. It's just, it's just important that both people are on the same. It's compatibility. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that, that was the main thing. And so like, you know, I have friends that have amazing relationships that are much more like kind of codependent, um, than Lauren and I are. And then, you know, and vice versa and friends that are way codependent and they don't have great relationships (laughs) And, and like, you know, and so, and, and everything in between. So, you know, I think, but Lauren and I just found that match where it kind of, you know, we were, I guess what, I guess another way to look at it is a lot of people in our sports, in our kind of like lifestyle, a lot of people have a kind of, a, a kind of like, you could call it like a primary and a supporter relationship, right? And that supporter person is, is, main function in the relationship is to support the primary person or whatever. Like the goals of the primary person. Yeah, exactly. The goals of the primary person. That's what I mean. So like a lot, you know, like a lot of uh, professional athletes, they have people that like basically help them, you know, like, and that's their, that's more or less their job. And it's a very symbiotic relationship. And it, and it, so it, it makes sense why most professional athletes have relationships like that. And I think Lauren and I are just in a unique boat where, that on the surface works really well for us because, you know, or having that type of support on the surface would work really well for us because I would love to be able to just come home and not worry about, you know, anything and have somebody that made dinner for me and like do and take care of you the whole day and like what everything else, you know, and didn't have anything better to do than just, you know, that would be really beneficial. But then there's a, uh, there's just like a, le- you know, there's just like a different, I don't know. There's like a different connection and like having somebody else is like doing the same thing and then finding the, this, the, finding the way that you can like work together to create, you know, some level of support, but then also some level of having your own thing. Yeah. So, no, I love that. Yeah. That's a beautiful answer. Yeah. It's actually, I think a good place to start to wrap up okay. um, the way that we end these are with what we call community questions. Okay. So basically each season, the real talk radio listeners put forth questions that they okay. want to hear about from each guest of that season. So basically all eight people answer the same nine questions. Oh, okay. So, cool, cool. okay. so okay. kind of like rapid fire yeah, random yeah. questions. Okay. Um, so the first one, when was the last time that you tried something new and what was it? Um, the first thing that popped into my head was not really new, but it was new for a long time. It was just the down was downhill skiing. 
because um, I've just felt really uncoordinated. So I did the pole pedal paddle like a year ago, a year and a half ago, and this race is a is a um, I mean, Nicole knows this, but I'll just answer it for the listeners. The race is an alpine ski, Nordic ski, bike, run, uh, kayak, and then like a little run to the finish line. <laughs> it's a it's crazy a race. super <laughs> iconic event in Bend. Um, a couple years ago, they had low snow levels, so they canceled the Nordic ski, which I had never done, and um, and replaced it with a run, with a small trail run. So it was basically like ski, run, bike, run, paddle, run. So it was mostly like right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> and um, I, hadn't Nord- I hadn't downhill skied since I was like a little kid. But I went up there. I had a buddy that, um, that helped me, and I went up there, and I was just awfully slow and uh, embarrassingly slow and also incredibly out of shape. Like I remember being like, I can ride my bike hard, for five hours, no problem. And I literally can't hold a ski tuck for like 40 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you went on to win that race. Well, so. <laughs> despite being, you know, 50% slower than the guys I was racing on the ski thing. Luckily, the ski thing was, you know, three minutes of the race. Right. So it didn't matter that much. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. I love it. Okay, yeah. the next question. What's something that you really love about yourself? <laughs> Um, oh man. Yeah. We're going to make you go there. (laughs) I I don't know. That's such a funny question. Um, uh, first thing that popped into my head was just, um, you know, actually just the whole basis of a lot of this conversation, just doing different things. Like I, I like the, I like the diversity of the projects or whatever that I have on my plate, you know, being an athlete, being an entrepreneur, being a dad, um, it's fun. I get to experience a whole bunch of different stuff. It never gets boring or old. And, um, and I kind of have for better and for worse always been like that. And there, and there's some, there's a lot of worse about it, but there's a lot of better about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're well suited to doing all these different things at the same time. So. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you're getting to know someone new, what's one of your favorite kind of get to know you questions to ask? Oh man. Like if you um, wanted to learn something about someone, like what's a go-to question you would, um, you know, I mean, I usually ask people about their background, you know, I mean, not, and not like, I guess maybe, you know, I kind of, you know, if you're just getting to know someone, you can't like go deep right in, you know, to like, well, I do, which is why I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm socially know, awkward. So, um, you know, but I, I mean, I usually start with the kind of like, where did you grow up? What types of like, kind of like leading questions. And then, um, you know, just try to find out like, kind of what brought them to, you know, where they are now. Like what's the, what are the, you know, what are the kind of big things like that they were into or experiences that they've gone through? And that's usually, you know, that's usually the basis of what, of what I use if I'm trying to like, you know, figure out what somebody's about. Okay. So this is not one of the questions, but that just sparked something for me. Yeah. Okay. So then what's the question you want to ask? Like, what do you actually really want to know about everyone that maybe it's not socially appropriate to ask? I don't know. I mean, it just depends on the person, right? It depends on who I'm talking to and what, what context. I mean, there could be, there could be lots of different things. Um, you know, I don't know. Like the thing that I always, I mean, not yeah. that this is not socially inappropriate, but I am really into other people's obsessions. Like, what are you oh, obsessed yeah. with? Like, I like totally. knowing what makes people like, oh my God, yes. Like, let's talk yeah, about yeah. this thing. Totally. I don't know. I, love that. I think I actually, actually, I mean, playing off of that and it's similar to obsession, but like, uh, you know, kind of like passions. I mean, cause that's, that's ultimately like the thing, like you can kind of, 
that I guess that and that maybe is like the root of some of my questioning. Like you can ask people like what they do for a living and like what they do, whatever. But you know, actually, and when I think about the question that question I asked is just like, what are you into? Yeah. So it's maybe that's similar to your obsession question. You know, um, like what do you do? What, you know, just what do you really love? And that usually tells you more about someone than anything else. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So what's one thing that you know now that you wish you would have known three years ago? Um, how the impact that having a child would have had on Lauren and I, you know, better. I wish I would like just how hard that would have been because it, it was really hard and it has been, and it's better now because it's been three years. Um, but you know, with, we had a very, you know, like, um, like I said, uh, you know, semi-symbiotic supportive relationship. And then with the kid in the middle, it's all of a sudden like this really shared, yeah, I don't want to call it a weight, but it is, it's a weight because it slows down your normal cadence of life. You can't just go do all these things that we do. And, um, and so it's like a shared burden. Like you carry the rock for a little while, then I'll carry the rock yeah. for a while. And, um, and that was hard for us. Like, I think it's hard for a lot of families, but I think it was particularly hard for us and, and having, uh, picky bars growing the way that it was and having Lauren, having my career accelerating the way that it was. And then having Lauren's career kind of, um, you know, kind of coming into its twilight without really like knowing that that's what was happening. There was just a lot of, there's a lot of conflict. It's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of conflict. Yeah. So, you know, knowing that, um, and being better prepared for that, I think I would have handled some like early situations a little bit differently yeah. than I, than I had and maybe try to make things smoother, but you know, you live, you learn. <laughs> so what's one non-negotiable for you? One thing, however, small or large that it's really important for you to do each day. Exercise. Yeah. I mean, really simple. Uh, ironically, I'm not, I haven't exercised for three weeks. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> but, you also just yeah, yeah. went to the well so yeah, totally. deep that no, I'm, yeah. I'm making, I'm, I am making myself not exercise despite every tendency in my body and brain. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. there's a difference between not exercising because, oh, I'm being yeah. lazy. I'm making excuses versus totally. like physically I'm yeah. wrecked and like need yeah. to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just love that. It's just nothing can, I never regret doing a workout of some kind, yeah. you know, regardless of when I squeeze it in or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. So if I could hand you an all expense paid trip for two right now, where would you go and who would you bring? I would take Jude and Lauren, maybe just Lauren, to be honest. Um, although I'd probably want Jude. What actually what I do, I bring Jude and Lauren and a nanny. Yeah. So we, my parents the, used to do that when I was little. the best of both worlds. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and we would go to um, we would go to Europe somewhere. Like I, the first thing that popped into my head was like Switzerland again, like the mountains. You know, go explore. You would like totally dig some of the trails and the lakes and like show him his namesake yeah, name totally. mountain, all that type of stuff. And then ha- and then let Lauren and I also get away for a couple days or whatever, and just be on our own and and kind of relive uh, some of that. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be ten years for us next year, which is crazy. Um, married you mean yeah wow. totally yeah 2017 so um so you know that would be really nice so maybe we'll just 
do that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Um, so as we head into the end of the year, obviously that's a lot of reflection-y, goal-setting time for people. Is there anything on your mind, a big dream or goal for 2017? Um, you know, I have I have those three things. I mean, I have family, sport, and and work. And, um, and I have goals for all of them. You know, I want to be better dad, better husband. <laughs> I want to be... Uh, I want our company to do better and be a better boss and I want to be a better triathlete. And, um, I have actually developed some, a lot of specificity around those goals with picky bars because we're in that phase right now. Um, um, but in terms of the other ones, I'm still kind of figuring it out. It's deciding if, if I want to take another run at Kona and, um, the race you originally said you'd never want to do. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I think, like I said, at the very beginning there there's some room there left on the table based on how I performed on the day and how I went and how I went into it. If I had had my best day ever and finished 16th, I would have been really happy with that and just and most likely walked away and never done it again. But um, knowing that there's a potential for me to ha- to get a top 10 there if I on the right day and knowing it even more so than I did before makes it interesting and intriguing to me because there's some value there for me personally and for my career. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. And then just with Jude and, and Lauren, you know, it's just, you know, I got, I'm another year into it, into being a dad, another year older. And, um, and just, you know, knowing those times when it's important to sacrifice something for family, like being more, um, I guess, uh, aware of how their, you know, how their kind of mood is fluctuating with me and the different things yeah. that I'm doing and everything else. So, you know, just getting better at that. It's just, uh, I, I am a true believer in like, um, in, in just consistently better, consistently a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, each time, each, each period, each year, whatever it is. So, well, I mean, in that it's funny, like people want to do these huge things or huge yeah. life changes, which I guess sometimes is appropriate, but yeah. I think we often underestimate the power of just like slightly better yeah, every month, totally. every day, you know, something like totally. that. So two more questions. Yeah. Um, which two to three books of any genre would you say have had the biggest impact on you? Or if there's a book that pops into your head that you've reread the most? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, there's the, um, the anti-career guide by Rick Jero. I listened, I don't read a whole bunch. Um, the only thing that I read actually is like, um, post apocalyptic prodigy fiction. Nice. <laughs> because like stuff like hunger games and all that type of stuff, because I just read them at night, mostly for the storytelling and to fall asleep. Um, but in terms of the books that have really had like impacts, um, that one, I, I listened to, I listened, I listened to all these books, uh, while I'm like writing or whatever. Um, that one, after I finished business school, I think helped me really think about trying to do something different, which was ultimately triathlon and picky bars. Um, and, um, so that one was really big. Um, the e-myth, um, and there might be a newer version called like the E-Myth Mastered. And that's an entrepreneurial book. That's just like the super basics about what it takes to be an entrepreneur and like working one job in your company until you can create a document that allows you to pass it on to somebody else and then doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and like just the basics of that. 
And uh, that thing, that really helped me with business. Um, those are the two that pop into my yeah, head. Yeah, no, I that's know. awesome. Yeah, I can't, think of a th- I can't think of a third one. And The Hunger um, Games, I guess. The, yeah, I yeah, it. no, actually, in terms of a fiction book, The Power of One is probably my favorite. Okay, you know, um, it's so funny when something, you know when you hear about something from someone yeah. and then you hear, and then it's everywhere? Yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I think I said this on another episode this season. It just keeps... It's coming at me from every area of my life, so obviously I have to read it. It's the one kind of like prodigy novel that um, that I read when I was young that I was just like – it just totally like resonated with me. Okay. You know, the guy that. goes through lots of ups and downs, and it's a great story. So the last question, when you look ahead at the next few months, what's one thing you feel really excited about? Oh, I'm, so, I'm excited about all kinds of stuff. You know, we have um, – I mean, I don't know. One thing. I mean, no one's going to penalize you if you say more. Yeah, than yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about our, our. I'm excited about the stuff that we're talking about with picky bars right now. You know, that, I'm excited about the new flavor. Yeah, we got a new flavor coming out. That's. Um, I guess it'll be out right by the time this. It will. Yeah. What's yeah. it? It's December first. Yeah, yeah December first. Yeah, it will be available for sure to club to the to the subscription service, which I am part of. So it will show club. up on my yep. doorstep. Yep. Um, exactly. Check also, I've already tried it, and it's so good. <laughs> yeah. The new flavor. It is going to be very good. We're going to have. Our our club is going to help us name it actually, which will be really cool. We're going to leave the name open for now, and then in December, yeah, it'll be available probably on our website to the general public. So, so that'll be good. Um, and just our plans in general, we have. I think we do, we just have a much more solid plan. I think um, we we know what we need to do more so this year than we did last year. Yeah, which is good. And then. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk with my coach next week about next year, and I'm pretty excited about that. I have some thoughts about some Ironmans that I maybe you know I'm going to I'm going to do another Ironman in the in the early in the year, and um, probably probably do Kona again. And so, um, but there's also half Ironman World Championships uh, in the U.S. next year, so there's a bunch of cool stuff there. And then and then with family, I'm pretty excited to um, have. Uh, to take Jude up Nordic skiing. Oh, yeah, okay. Cause, um, oh my God, got, he's going to be so cute. Yeah. Cause I got into, you know, I got into Nordic skiing last year. It was the first year I'd ever really had time and I was in Bend to like do it. And actually I broke my toe so I couldn't run. So it was kind of like a good, uh, jump start into it. So I'm really excited to do that again. It was really fun. And I, I walked in, I took my, took some old cycling stuff that I had to this place called Gear Fix in Ben that is like a gear swap, like used place, mostly just to like kind of donate it to them. And, um, of course I walked in there and I was with this bag and I was like going to do all this stuff, but then I like started like seeing stuff and I'm like, Oh man, that'd be cool for us to have. That would be whatever. And I ended up buying you like a full Nordic ski set and a full downhill ski set and myself a pair of boots and then not actually dropping off my stuff because I ran out of time. So, um, I'm really excited to do that with him. That'll be, that'll be super fun. He probably will not be into it at all, but the idea of it. Will so be first of all, to the full circle to the beginning of the conversation exactly. of you making that, asking you to do something that I'll be like, we're going to go skiing buddy. And then he'll go up there and he'll just want to like eat snow. <laughs> Honestly, like that's probably what's going to happen. Like, yeah, that's amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, so what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? What's your favorite way to connect? Yeah. Um, you know, my, um, my social media channels are great. Um, 
uh, Jesse M. Thomas on Twitter and and Instagram, and then uh, J- just Jesse Thomas on Facebook. Uh, my website is leapdaysports.com. That's Leap Day because I was born on Leap Day in 1980. And so Leap Day Sports. And then um, you know, and check out pickybars.com. We do a lot. We do a lot of stuff there. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you have any questions or whatever, you know, feel free to reach out to me on any of that stuff. I will do, like I said, I'll do my best to reply <laughs> to anyone. I can't 100% guarantee it. You get much more likely to get a reply if the email or question is very short. <laughs> yeah, so, right? Good right. tactics. And I'll put links yeah. to all of that yeah. in the show notes. Jesse, thank you yeah. so much. Thanks. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi. I always feel like it's weird when I say it like once I'm talking to someone who has my same name. I'm like, oh, well, okay. Um, Anyway, so we are going to play a quick three-question round of my favorite game, which is Would You Rather. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Would you rather have an excellent relationship with terrible sex or a terrible relationship with excellent sex? Ooh. Oh, you're going right, right for a forward. tough one. No, I think <laughs> you and I already know each other, so I saved this one for you. <laughs> you're like, that's done. Um, let's, like, like, terrible sex, no matter, like, this is my yeah. problem with would you rather. I always have a lot of questions. Like, no matter what you do. No matter what. Like. No matter what. No matter what. You will not enjoy it no matter what. Are they funny? Everything else you want. Whatever else would constitute an excellent relationship for you. Maybe it's crazy. I'm going to take the relationship. Yeah, I. It's so obviously when I'm picking these out off of you know the internet and all the internet lists that have these on them. Good, you know, like credit to the internet. Um, I'm always like, oh man, what would I choose? And I went back and forth a lot of times, and I think that I would choose that as well. Right, like. Because it's the relationship you can't have the sex in. So if you wanted to have, like, a situation, you could do that. Like, Oh, that's interesting, right? That you were both just like, listen, our relationship's great. The sex is terrible. It's never going to get better. So we can do that elsewhere. Yeah, that's – I did not think about that. The thing that I thought about was more the quantity of time. That, like, it, assuming that this is, like, your relationship, right? Like, you're living with them. Like, this is your person for the rest of forever. The amount of time you're going to spend in the relationship versus the amount of time you're going to spend having sex, I don't know. Like, if the relationship itself were terrible, I feel like that would have a more negative – effect on your life I don't know I mean like, clearly oh, I'm overthinking it life, just like oh I can't even go home we got great I get to have sex and then I can't stand them yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay so that's a great one um next would you rather have $100,000 in cash or $500,000 in Amazon gift cards but that you couldn't sell them for cash like you have to use them for stuff on Amazon $500,000 on Amazon gift cards. Hands down. I can get anything and don't have to leave the house. Like, yeah, like that's, that's true. That was my initial answer. And then I was like, well, but if I had the cash, then I could invest it and that could make more cash. But I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't have kids yet, but I've been told the thing about diapers and apparently you can get diapers on Amazon. So done. Interesting. Like, I, I wonder how long I it would take to me to spend $500,000 in the Kindle store. That's really Yes. Kindle store like crazy. And I do like all of my like recurring household things through Amazon subscribe and save. And I have to believe I'm going to use $500,000 of paper towels and tissues and toilet paper in the rest of my life. 
like it's just yeah I wonder I mean I'm like you the reason that I hate and love this game is because I also have a lot of questions and I always want to find a loophole that I'm like well (laughs) maybe if I just like purchase things on Amazon for all my friends and family and then they give me cash but I guess that's the same as selling them so that doesn't work (laughs) but you know I think I would take the cash that's what I think nice all right the last one would you rather always be able to tell when someone else is lying or always be able to get away with lying yourself I think I would rather be able to always get away with lying myself because there are there is such a thing as kind lies in the world. And I would like to not give up the benefit of receiving the occasional kind lie. Mm, I like I thought you were going to say that you want to be able to tell the kind lies, but I like what you did there. I like it. I'm into it. I'm going to I'm going to piggyback on that answer. That's a good one. (laughs) Okay, so why don't you introduce yourself to the rest of the listeners real quick? Tell everyone where you live and one thing that you are totally obsessed with lately. I live in Boston, Massachusetts, and right now I am, and I'm on the back end of this as far as like theater nerds go, but I'm a theater nerd and I'm obsessed with Hamilton, and I was very late to the Hamilton game, but my real obsession with it has been driving around in the car and listening to the soundtrack and just listening to it piece by piece and learning the words and going back and trying again. And it's like all rap and stuff if you're not like familiar with it. So there's like two thirds rap and like right a third like regular musical theater. And I'll just be like, okay, there's like 5,000 words in this 10 seconds and I'm going to get it. And I'll just keep rewinding, which sounds not safe in the car, but I promise I'm responsible. I love it. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, It reminds me of being little and like not little, but like high school and listening to rent with my boom box and like on my bed and taping and Oh my god, when you used to get CDs and it would come, some of them would come with the lyric book, like the booklet of lyrics. Oh my god, I just flashed on like a serious Alanis Morissette moment in fifth grade. (laughs) So yeah, that was fifth grade for me. Um, Yeah, oh man. And you, (laughs) it's so funny. You know what else I just remembered? Um, Like using a, like a tape, like a boombox style, like that had a record button to record songs off the radio. Yes. Did you ever and do if that? if you like got it a little wrong, like you just had to wait until it came back on again. And like, that was it. Like sometimes you'd only get half the song or you'd have to like rewind to the right place. And what if you recorded over your last song? Like it was some drama. <laughs> My 18 year old niece is going to be listening <laughs> to this like, um, I don't understand what you're what? talking about. What? <laughs> oh, the future. Okay. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, meaning that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps fund the costs of producing the show each season. So I would love for you to share why you decide to support the show and what you love about being in our little family. I just felt like I absolutely had to support the show because I love it so much. And like, same reason when NPR or This American Life is like, hey, like, we need money to keep running. It's like, well, I am a consumer. And I will I will do that. I will help you. I love your product. And I will help you. And of course, I love you known each other a long time. And I just I don't know, I want to give and help. And also, I produce a podcast, I know how long it takes. It's like a part time job, pretty much getting everything all together and scheduling and, um, and, and and editing and it, it's a lot so kudos to you and I love the community because I think about Patreon in general as being a lot of people who value other people's work and creativity it's kind of like when you go do volunteer work and you show up like even if someone's getting in your nerves everyone who is there is probably a genuinely good person because they're, they're there like volunteering 
like we're all in this community. We all believe in supporting creators that we love. And I, that gives me the warm fuzzies. That, I, that, that's such a good point. I feel you just articulated something that I haven't necessarily been able to articulate that, especially because this is not a topic specific show, right? Like it's not about mm-hmm. running or about business. Like not that the shows that are topic specific aren't great also, but basically I feel like the thing that people have in common here is like they are interested in honesty. And like you said, supporting creative, supporting other, like supporting each other. And just, I don't know, there's like a genuine kindness I feel like in this community that if the show if we do meet the funding goal and the show does continue into next year it would be really cool to find a way to like I don't know set up something where people like other people that live in Boston like if they want if you guys wanted to meet up or something that obviously like I can't be involved in right like (laughs) in every city everywhere but I don't know there would just be something cool I feel like not that everyone necessarily has lots in common but there's like something here I agree with you that if you like the show enough or into this enough to then want to support it and be part of that like smaller group I don't know I think some cool friendships could be made yeah cut from the same cloth kind of thing right totally I love it well you're the best and I'm so glad that you were brave and joined me for this and to everyone who's listening if you love the podcast if you want over 20 hours of bonus content if you want to help us reach the funding goal we need to hit in order to keep the show going beyond the end of 2016 so beyond the end of this season just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of eight dollars or more for each eight episode season I can't tell you how much your support means to me and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can and no matter what, we're in this together. <laughs>